Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like her parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 5 The campground exists in a bubble. It's an ecosystem of its own, removed from the surrounding area. Even the quality of the air is different. It feels pure, pristine. The sunlight makes the tree leaves glow like emeralds, and the distant sounds of the roads melt away as soon as you step foot in the forest. It's like the outside world doesn't exist anymore. I think this is why campers keep coming back, despite the dangers. It's why I love my land. In some ways, the campground is also like a community of its own. The people come and go, but we have many of the staples of civilization right here on site. We have a campground mailing address for use by the campers and run a mail drop-off and delivery point. There's the camp grocery stocked with treats, fresh produce, and camping necessities. We have laundry machines. We even have an internet cafe. We don't have hot water, though. The showers are solar showers, and when the hot water runs out, it's out. And don't even get me started on cloudy days. I still resent the one-star review someone left complaining about that. (sighs) I wonder if I've not done myself any favors by separating the town so thoroughly from the campground. While the campground brings in a lot of revenue for the local businesses, the campers are still interlopers when they make their excursions to the hardware store or the liquor store. The locals are polite and friendly, but not familiar. They smile and take their money and then whisper to each other that Kate is collecting more fodder for the monsters she harbors. Or perhaps I'm reading too much into it and the locals keep their distance for the same reason they don't name their chickens. It's easier that way when they die. I'm Kate, and this is Goat Valley Campgrounds. The town's best-kept secret is the annual fair. It starts on Friday and lasts the whole week. All the local businesses close up early so that they can prepare their stalls on the town green. Individual residents have stalls as well for their handicrafts, and farmers bring in produce or other goods. There's games, raffles, food, music, and even a handful of carnival rides paid for out of the fair fund. I contribute to the fair fund every year. It builds goodwill. Or at least that's my hope. I closed my campground that weekend so as to give my staff time off to attend. The vehicle barn is locked up, and I finished checking the roadside fences. I think we're set. Great. Uh, Make sure to lock the gate when you leave. Are you coming to the fair? I'll be there later. I thought I saw a fire off in the woods, and I want to make sure it's just the dancers before I leave. Okay. But don't be too late, or you'll miss the pie-eating competition. I'm pretty good at pie-eating competitions. 
I took my four-wheeler out and made a quick loop of the campground. The distant firelight was indeed the dancers, and I slowed only long enough to confirm they hadn't made off with any of my staff. It's happened before. They return unharmed the next morning, but extremely hungover. Then, my fears assaged, I returned to my house. There was a figure on the road near the edge of the forest. His appearance differed for each person, but to me, he always wore a charcoal hoodie with the hood pulled up. The man with the skull cup. I mentally cursed my bad luck and stepped on the gas, urging the four-wheeler up the steep hill. He couldn't offer me a drink if we didn't make eye contact, I reasoned. I didn't want to be unable to eat food right before the town fair. Not when there were funnel cakes and a pie-eating competition. No such luck. We stepped sideways into the middle of the road as I maneuvered past him. I slammed on the brakes on instinct, belatedly realizing that I might have been able to just swerve and escape this confrontation. It was too late now. The four-wheeler shuddered to a stop, engine rumbling, and before me stood the man with the skull cup. He regarded me with a calm and mild interest, as if I were an interestingly colored insect to be considered for a moment, but nothing more. His myriad of facial piercings glinted dully in the fading sunlight, as did the assortment of rings on his fingers as he cradled his cup. My gaze settled first on its empty eye sockets and the oily liquid inside, before I reluctantly tore them away to meet his stare. Can I help you? You can, actually. Are you offering me a drink? He gave me a faintly amused smile. Don't you have a pie-eating competition to win? How do you... No, never mind. All your staff have left. Why do you still circle the campground? Are you not confident in your control over this land? I'm never confident. I live in constant fear that I'm not doing enough. He walked over and turned, putting one foot up on the edge of the four-wheeler. Then he swung himself up and sat down beside me. I stiffened, my knuckles going white as I clutched at the handlebars of the vehicle. Too close. He was way too close for my liking. I don't particularly care to have anyone in my personal space, much less something that wasn't even human. See, that's the problem. You never relax. It's the town fair. You should enjoy it. He patted my shoulder as if we were friends, but his fingers tightened, digging his nails into my muscle until I flinched. Let's go together. Nothing like this had happened on our campground before, to my knowledge. Certainly not with the man with the skull cup. It was a simple transaction. He offered a drink, the victim accepted, and then everyone went their own ways. I couldn't fathom what his motivation was, and all the gentle prodding I attempted was met with stony silence. I stopped by the house, at least to get my car. There was no way I was driving the four-wheeler all the way to the town green. Not with the man with the skull hanging onto the back with his breath on the back of my neck. He didn't protest the switch. But at the campground gate, he got out of the back seat as I went to unlock it. Will you open the gate for me? I turned to stare at him. His expression was unreadable. There was something in what he said. I was going to open the gate. So why would he make this request of me? I rested one hand on the lock. I'm not obligated to. No, you aren't. I could refuse. 
I could open it for myself but refuse you, and there's nothing you could do about it. Am I right? Boundaries are important to human things. From boulder-strewn stone walls in New England to white picket fences, we construct barriers. They serve as markers for humans, but act as much, much more for everything else. Most creatures can't enter a house unless invited, but I hadn't expected for there to be similar limitations around my campground gate. The man with the skull cup couldn't leave unless I permitted it. I could stop him right there, easily. He stepped closer to me. I tensed, readying myself to fight or flee, but he gave no sign of aggression. He only lowered his voice. I'll owe you a favor. I barely hesitated. I unlocked the gate and swung it open. (sighs) You have my permission to leave. Favors from inhuman things are both rare and valuable. They aren't like bargains, which are slanted to favor the inhuman thing. A favor will always be repaid at a time it is desperately needed and will greatly exceed the value of the deed that earned it. It's a priceless thing, the sort of debt that could someday save my life or even more. It was worth any risk. Thank you. You are most kind. And then he got back in the car, and I drove us to the town fair. I found parking at the edge of town, where houses sat side by side for a few blocks. Old houses with wooden shingles and gnarled trees in their yards. The streets were silent, and the windows of the houses dark. The noise from the town green, music, and voices faintly wafted through the old trees. The town green was a long stretch of grass that divided the main street at the center of town. The road was closed for the fair, giving people room to spread out. At one corner were a handful of carnival rides, where most of the children gathered. I resolved to try to keep the man with the skull cup away from there. I didn't think he'd bother children, but I didn't want to find out otherwise. I'm not sure what I was hoping for when we arrived. That the man with the skull cup was merely curious as to our traditions, perhaps, and would quietly let me lead him around as if I were a tour guide, introducing him to quaint human traditions. Sadly, this was not the case. As soon as we reached the main street, he briskly started off in a different direction than me, head high and walking with intent. He had a reason for being here. My heart sunk and I reluctantly followed after him. Might as well see what the damage of this excursion was going to be. I was quickly joined by Brian. I was dismayed to see he was alone. You left the dogs at home? Well, everyone else brings their dogs. And after last year, when that Yorkie got scared of them and peed on their owner's leg, I thought it was best to just not. Is that the man with the skull cup? Yeah. Oh, no. Is he... Offering someone a drink? Yeah. I jogged over and stood a pace behind the man with the skull cup, frantically pantomiming to the hapless local to take a sip. They did, their eyes wide and fixed on me the whole time. Then the man with the skull cup walked away and I followed him, casting nervous glances backwards to the person that would just been poisoned. Did you get bored of poisoning campers? I have my The town is going to be in an uproar over this. He stopped abruptly and whirled to face me. His mouth was thin with unexpected anger, and my own indignation faltered, replaced by a sudden cold jolt of fear. 
They aren't on your side. Then he turned away and began walking again, seeking out yet another victim. I continued to follow, heart pounding. I was starting to sweat. Drops of perspiration beaded up on the back of my neck, and I was flushed with anxiety, watching all this unfold. Oh shit, they are. There was a trend in who he was targeting. Within the town is a small but noisy contingent that would rather the campground not exist. Some of it is generational grudges, built up over the years between our respective families. My parents were the first generation to really try diplomacy, so there's plenty of bad blood to go around. There's also a growing number of people that feel the campground's lax management has been tolerated for too long and that my family should be removed from our position. They can't force us to sell it, but they can make it hard enough to operate that I'd have to concede to their demands. So far, their efforts had been defeated by the sheer amount of economic impact our campground has on the local economy, but this would surely give them a boost. I gritted my teeth and swore that the favor had better be worth it. After about 30 minutes of this, it was clear that word that an inhuman thing was present and had thoroughly circulated. People were keeping clear of us, but not everyone was leaving the area. There were covert glances and overt stares. The locals are used to the inhuman, but it's still rare to have one walking around so openly. And since it's the man with the skull cup, well, they all know the rules. He's not that dangerous, so long as you accept his offer. The people who had to drink from the cup looked far less happy about the situation. No funnel cakes for them. Finally, he turned around to address both Brian and I. It is tradition to present a guest with a gift. An old tradition, perhaps, but still honored today in other forms. After all, who hasn't told a friend my treat? Do you want a funnel cake? He ignored me and turned to Brian. He held out his cup with one hand and with the other, produced a knife from somewhere. Back pocket, perhaps? I saw a comprehension draw in Brian's eyes. An offering of blood. Also an old tradition. Brian nervously took the knife from him and put the point to his palm. He seemed surprised at how easily it cut through his skin. The man with the skull cup's knife is very sharp. Then Brian turned his palm over and let the blood drip freely into the bowl of his cup. Thank you. Brian withheld his palm, clutching his fingers into a fist as blood slipped between his clenched fingers. Old blood from what was in the cup before, new blood freely given. I only need one more ingredient to refill my cup. Wait, refill? You have to refill it? You haven't noticed. The bodies with their throats cut open. I didn't realize that was you. Then the last ingredient is... Blood forcibly taken. And look, there's the person I was hoping for. Enough is enough, Kate. Sheriff Sabota was breathing heavily through his mouth. His gait, taller and menace, was behind his eyes. This was justifiable anger that I was not prepared to deal with. 
Sheriff, listen, I... No, no, you need to listen. People are scared of you and your goddamn campground. They're scared of what will happen anytime you or your ancestors step foot out of its boundaries. And right now, right now, we can see exactly why. He gestured to the ambulance speeding in the opposite direction towards the hapless local the man with the skull cup had encouraged to take a drink. I have barely tolerated your existence for so long, Kate, but I am not covering this one up. People go missing or worse, no-go areas, vanishing houses. He pinched his nose and took in a deep breath, trying to calm himself unsuccessfully. I don't care that your campground brings in tourism and money to keep us thriving. We'll find another way to survive. This needs to end, and when they find out what you did... He paused as he realized that the man with the skull cup was intently focused on him. Inhuman things are often uninterested in human disagreements, which meant that this creature was interested in the sheriff for an entirely different reason. So you finally arrive. All that energy exerted and hot blood pumping. Do you feel vindicated? Sabota froze, his lips pressed together and his face pale. He twitched slightly, mentally gauging whether it was better to fight or flee. I stood frozen between the two, heart hammering. Blood forcibly taken. You'll do just fine. A nuisance to the campground and a lonely man with just a voice whispering in his ear for comfort, pulling at his strings to make him dance to the darkness's tune. Sabota's eyes grew wide at that, and he took a step back, instinctively reaching for his gun. The man with the skull cup only smiled at that in amusement. He stepped forwards, deliberately closing the gap between the two. I acted before my mind thought through the consequences. As much as I hated the sheriff, I couldn't let this happen. No, you can't! The moment I stopped an entity of this magnitude from his hunt, I knew that I had just dug my own grave. I grabbed the man with the skull cup's arm, trying to drag him back, trying to twist the knife out of his grip. It was like trying to bend an iron cable. The muscle solid and his flesh cooler than any human should be underneath the fabric of his hoodie. But he stopped. He turned his head sideways to stare down at me. He looked at me in a way I'd never seen before. I see. Blood forcibly taken does not need to be from the good sheriff. Blood is blood, after all. It doesn't need to be this way. Oh, I think it does. All things have a purpose. He ripped his arm out of my grasp. I threw myself backwards and there was a flash of metal and sunlight. The knife passing just across the surface of my neck. And I jerked my body around to run. I felt a brief tug on my hair, his fingers closing on the ends. But I kept going, my momentum throwing myself forwards and tearing myself out of his grasp. I left behind a clump of my hair, but I was free and running down the road, the line across my neck burning as it bled freely into my shirt. But it was intact. My artery was intact. I was heading away from town by necessity. I had to lead him away from the town center and from Sheriff Sabota. I'd cut across the field, I thought desperately, and circle back towards town. I'm in shape from all the work I do on the campground, but I'm not a runner. That's a different kind of athleticism. I quickly exhausted my stamina and was reduced to a fast walk, clutching a hand against the stitch in my side. 
My neck stung where his knife had broken skin, but the blood flow was slowing. I angled my direction more towards the beckoning safety of the town. I was quickly running out of field. There were trees ahead. I couldn't tell if it was merely a windbreak or a stretch of forest. Then I saw, somewhat behind me and to my right, the man with the skull cup. He walked at an even pace, cutting a straight line between me and my destination, so that even if I sprinted, I'd run the risk of being intercepted, even if I could sprint. So I changed tactics. I headed back towards the campground. That was a straight line, and if I could reach the gate, I could get my hands on the bundle that guarded it and whatever it was that he feared inside. Have you heard of persistence hunting? You walk an animal to death. You keep pace with it so that every time it slows, you're right there, threatening it, spurring it to keep moving, keep going, step after weary step until it finally collapses of exhaustion. I didn't have my cell phone on me because it'd fallen out of my pocket in my struggle to break free of his grip. This was why women need real pockets on our clothing. My pants barely fit my cell phone in the best of circumstances. Worse, with everyone at the town fair, the road was deserted. Without any hope of rescue, I had no choice but to keep going. And each time I looked back, the man with the skull cup was there. I collapsed long before I reached the campground. My thoughts were hazy at that point, worn thin by exhaustion. And I remember thinking that all this was futile, that I was dealing with creatures far more powerful than I, and my time was simply up. That it'd be easier to give in than to keep going for a minute longer. And that resignation broke as soon as I heard gravel crunch under his feet as he approached. I struggled to stand, my legs burning with pain, and I stumbled blindly forwards, driven only by an instinct to survive, pushed well beyond the limits of my endurance. His hand closed on my hair, right at the roots, and he jerked backwards. I stumbled, fell, and then was straddling my legs, pinning them in place, and he twisted his wrist to force my head back and expose my throat. His body felt cool against my back. Not cold, just not as warm as a human should feel. No, no don't! <laughs> I clawed at his wrist as he raised the knife. I'm surprised at how clear my thoughts were. That I was going to die. And wondered if this was how my father felt as he walked out to meet the beast. Like floating. Like the world didn't exist anymore and it was just myself, alone with the beat of my own heart. Please! Please don't! <laughs> the knife point slipped along the line of my throat and there was no pain and I waited for my body to catch up, waited for the hot blood to soak my shirt. And then his wrist shifted again and there was a flash of pain along my jaw. He dropped the knife and picked up the cup holding it just below my chin. And now I felt the heat of blood trickling along my neck, saw it dripping into the cup and mixing with the blood and water already present inside. Then he released me and took the cup away. I pressed a shaking hand against the cut on my jaw and watched blood run down my wrist and soak into the sleeve of my shirt. It was a long time before I could speak. There, that's all. Blood forcibly taken. I thought you were... You were going to kill me. Perhaps I was. 
Would it have been forcibly taken if you'd known you weren't going to die? Would you have simply acquiesced, knowing it was easier to submit than to fight the inevitable? But why me? Why Sheriff Sabota? You could have convinced anyone in town that you were going to kill them. A selfish question, perhaps. But I've grown accustomed to others being the ones that die, and I the one that lives. It's my gift to you. A reminder of the dangers of your campground. After all, familiarity breeds complacency. Think of how your mother died. I'd prefer you lasted a little while longer yet. And Sheriff Sabata, well, I dislike the company he keeps. He walked away. I watched him go, dizzy with pain, shaking with exhaustion. When he was no longer within eyeshot, I simply lay down there on the shoulder of the road, and I remained there until Brian came along looking for me. He pulled his car over and rolled down the window. I brought you a funnel cake. I heaved myself up and struggled into the passenger side seat. Sure enough, there was a funnel cake sitting on a plate on the dash. I picked at it as he drove me back to the campground. (sighs) I take it I should stay away from the fair? Dad'd be smart. Sabota is trying to stir up trouble. He's in a minority, but he's loud and no one dares to speak up against him. (sighs) I really wish someone else had gotten elected. Kind of hard when he ran unopposed. You could run. Have you considered a career in politics? That'd never happen. Too many people are still nervous about my dogs. It was a joke. I need your dogs on the campground. Just my dogs? After I went through the trouble of bringing you a funnel cake? Brian dropped me off at the gate. As I locked it behind me, I happened to glance in the direction of the woods. There was a man walking into the trees. I could only see the back of his gray hoodie. The man with the skull cup. Letting me see him as he vanished into the forest, so that I knew he'd returned to the campground. I wish I could say that my ordeal was the only consequence of this incident. See, I have a tenuous relationship with the town at times. Not everyone feels the benefits of the campground outweigh the dangers. And with Sheriff Sabota leading the charge, they've decided to reopen the issue. I spend much of my time preoccupied with the unnatural, with things that have their own rules and customs, and I suppose I'd ignored other threats. The human threats, and our tendency towards blind, rash panic when threatened. I think I forgot myself inside my helpless anger and insulted the wrong person. I wished the town fair had been uneventful. I wished my problems were not of my own making this time. At least the man with the skull cup was in my debt, in exchange for opening the gate. I didn't know then how much I would need that favor. Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Mick Wingert as the man with the skull cup, Kyle Akers as Brian, and David Cummings as Sheriff Sabota. 
Join us next week for Chapter 6 of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the express written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.